started uh, a series two weeks ago on answering our culture, some of the objections our culture has to Christianity as a whole. And uh, we're going to address another one of those today. And I appreciated so much Pastor Ken's message. How many appreciated that message last week? Just was so awesome. Amen. Go ahead. That's, that's great. And he touched a lot on what I'm going to touch on today about absolute truth. Because our culture is telling us that there is no absolute truth. And as believers, I hope you understand that that is a lie. And that is certainly far from the truth. How many of you grew up um, hearing about the tooth fairy? How many of you got some money from the tooth fairy? We just heard the other day, one kid got 10 bucks. I'm like, dude, I want to grow up in that family. 10 bucks. Take them all out, you know. Do the denture thing at 10 years old, you know. Santa Claus. How about that wrestling you have when you're, when you're, when you're parents, you know. Do we teach our kids about Santa Claus or not? And, and uh, then they become old enough to go to school and kids are talking about Santa Claus and your kids don't talk about Santa Claus and it gets kind of weird and awkward and or the Easter Bunny, all those weird things we believe in. I've heard when we grow up all those myths. Some things we can recognize as myths, like Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy. But there are other times that we just don't know, you know, what's right, what's wrong, what's true, and what's not true. And, and we just came through the election season, and I don't know about you, but when we go through election seasons, I have this kind of uh, skeptic posture that I go into this mode of man I'm hearing it but I don't know what to believe anybody there with me you know I, I see the mouth going and I hear all the promises but my in my ears are going wow 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 just a bunch of nonsense because when they get in office everything changes anyway I promise yeah well good for you But when it comes to absolute truth, many deny that there is such a thing and we boil truth down to what we feel about a certain matter and how it affects us personally. It all becomes a personal thing to us rather than how it could indeed meet the whole uh, of of all of us in in, um, a conglomerate sense. In other words, the world would say, what's good for you may not be good for me. So we have this posturing of truth being relevant only to your particular situation. When we talk about this today, we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit just to minister to our hearts and leave here with a little bit more of ammunition to be able to address some of the culture and some of the things that the world's saying to us. Let's pray together. Father, we bless you. We thank you. We thank you that there is truth. We thank you that you are truth. And we thank you, Lord, that in this culture where truth is being lost, it's being changed, it's being tainted, it's being uh, rewritten in their own way, in their own meeting, their own pleasures and desires. Father, I asked for an elevation of the truth, that Jesus Christ would be high and lifted up, and that the world would see the goodness that you have and the truth that you are. We ask this in your name. Amen.
So why do people reject the notion of absolute truth? I want to just throw out three uh, quick reasons why that might be. I'm sure there are many of them, but three quick reasons. One is that they feel that absolute truth is too hard, if not impossible, to find. See, when it comes to religion, who do you choose? You know, if, if I hadn't grown up in church and heard the things of the Lord, if I was a, a raw, unsafe person and I wanted to know God, how would I know where to go? Why wouldn't I try Buddhism, Buddhist? Why wouldn't I try uh, Judaism? Why wouldn't I try some of the other religions of our world? Why wouldn't, what, would I be Catholic? Would I be Methodist? Would I be Baptist? Would I be Karl Marx? Would I be, what would I be? And so is it any wonder that people struggle in our culture of what truth is and where do I find it? I mean, the, the churches say they have truth and yet the churches are fighting against each other. How, how can that be true? How can that be right? You understand the confusion that the world may have when they come to this, this idea of truth? It's hard to find in their minds. In fact, some of them may say truth is absolutely impossible to find. And to be honest with you, for the most part, the church hasn't done a good job of living out the truth. Another reason might be there's too many charlatans. Just about the time you think you find truth and you throw all your eggs in that basket, you realize that the person behind the TV screen is just a charlatan stealing your money and getting rich and happy and has this big mansion somewhere with all kinds of guards and fancy houses and stuff, and you realize that all he wanted was your money. He had no, no agenda of the truth whatsoever. And that's happening over and over and over again, people being exploited for what is called truth. I remember when I was at college at Jimmy Swaggart Bible College and we would have to take turns with the telethon that they would do there every year and they would raise money for the ministry and this one little old lady called in and she said I work 40 hours a week because I'm retired I don't really need money but I work 40 hours a week just so I can support this ministry and I'm hearing this thinking wow this poor little old lady is working all of these hours so she can support this ministry. When, and, and it won't go into detail, but being at the ministry, we saw all kinds of things that were just plush and done with, uh, I appreciate excellence, but there is a time that you go overboard. And, and, and so, so we have to be careful, have to really be careful how we, we enough said. The third reason, relativism. Relativism. It has no accountability or any standard. I want you to think about this for a minute because when we look at relativism, which is the opposite of truth, and, or at least the world's version of truth, and, and that relativism simply says this, that what is truth to you is indeed just for you, and it might be different for me because I don't like what you like and you don't like what I like. So if that indeed is a standard to go by, look how erratic it is. It's, it, it simply goes by everybody's whims and wishes and desires rather than having a common standard that everybody can live by. And it becomes really messy. And I really, again, appreciate the masterful job that Ken touched on that last week. So if truth is relative, let's look at some of these things. If truth is relative, as some would say, then all spiritual truth is valid, 
If truth is relative, then all spiritual truth is valid. So this means that all religion and philosophies carry the same weight. Christianity, in their eyes, would be no better than Islam. It would be no better than Judaism or Buddhism or Jehovah's Witness or, or any of the other religions of the world. Mormons and atheism, the atheists. So this sounds real nice on the surface because, after all, shouldn't we all just be able to get along? Haven't you seen the bumper sticker on cars that coexist bumper sticker. Have you ever seen that? It's got all the different symbols of all the different religions and stuff on there. And it's saying, hey, we ought to all just be able to get together and get along. And Well, that does sound nice. But the reality is that every one of those have their own set of teachings. And we'll find as we go on today that they will eventually clash somewhere in their teaching. Jesus said, he is the only way to the Father. I am the only way to the Father. Now, how many of you know that's a pretty exclusive statement? When you take that statement and you try to get along with that statement in another religion... All of a sudden, whether you like it or not, you're going to have conflict. You're going to bump up against a wall of resistance because you cannot have truth and the relative type of thinking where we all get along and it's all good. Because if Jesus says, I am the only way to the Father, and you think you can get to the Father by being Muslim, or you think you can get to the Father by, by studying Judaism or by being a Buddhist, then, then we, you have an issue really quick. And then we have on the other side, the, Islam claims that Christianity is false. Boy, they have some really harsh things to say about Christians. In fact, their desire is to annihilate them. I mean, the core of Islam teaching is that. That we are, even as Americans, we are infidels. But yet we're supposed to get along in relativism. And we have our president embracing Muslims and allowing them to say prayers in our Congress and so forth because we all want to get along. A nation that was once a nation, one nation under God, who is now a nation under multiple gods because it's all relative. Can you see it coming down the pike, folks? It's coming. How can Jesus' statement, I am the only way to the Father, and the Islamic statement that Christianity is false, how can we merge them? How can they coexist? How can they both be true? They cannot be true for some and not for others they, because they're both exclusive statements. That if I'm going to get to Jesus, I have to be Christian. I have to understand who Jesus Christ is. But Muslims are saying, no, 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 you can't get to the Father by that. In fact, that Christian thing is all wrong. There's, they're very, very exclusive and they confront each other and they clash and it's harsh. Jesus didn't qualify his remarks by saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life for only the Jews. 
He didn't say, I am the way, the truth, and the life for just the Western Europeans or any ethnic group for that matter. But Jesus simply said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man, entirely, everyone, of all nationalities, of all nations, of all generations, no man can come to the Father except by me. That's a very exclusive statement. He claimed to be the only way for everybody. And Islam declares that Israel should be destroyed. So which is right? And why? Why is it right? Why should I listen to your religious philosophy if mine is just as valid? See, you, you cannot mutually exclusive, have exclusive viewpoints be true. You can't have two wrongs be right. You can't have one wrong and one right and both be right. It doesn't mix. One might be right and the other might be wrong, but the next implication of relativism is that persuasion is not allowed. Tolerance becomes the king. And I'm not going to coerce you into believing what I believe. I just, you just need to tolerate who I am, and I need to tolerate who you are. I need to tolerate your religion, and you need to tolerate mine. And people become really proud of their tolerance. You haven't seen that yet. And they become angry when they're perceived as uh, 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 something else is coming against them with judgmentalism. I mean, anger just flares up. How dare you tell me what I believe is wrong? And here's the problem, as Ken pointed out last week. If, if you are as tolerant as you claim, you have no right to judge my position. See, tolerant means you've got to be tolerant for everybody. And it breaks down here because we love this tolerance thing until all of a sudden I don't like what somebody else is doing and I'm not tolerant with them. If, if you want me to be tolerant with you, then you've got to be tolerant with me. And so they can't do that. Because why? Because what happens is the truth invades their relative thinking. And it confronts the lie. And it forces them to make a decision to either continue in their nonsense or to make a break and chase after the truth. Tolerance that refuses to be tolerant is called hypocrisy. And that's exactly what many people accuse Christians of being. Hypocrites. There was one lady who um, started a journey in the Christian faith. She left the Christian faith and entered a lesbian lifestyle. She rejected everything she had been told about the Bible. She went on to become the president of the campus homosexual student organization, and she was very vocal about her involvement and her belief in that lifestyle. And all the while, she would sporadically attend church. And when she came to church, she was always met with love from the pastors and the people in the church. They'd put her arm around her and love on her and tell her how much they missed her and just loved on her. They never condoned her sin. They just loved on her as an individual. Eventually, the Holy Spirit got a hold of her heart, and she turned her heart around, and she came back to the Lord. And in doing so, guess how the homosexual community addressed that issue? Do you think they were accepting of that? Yea, good for you. Just the opposite. They became angry at her. 
They became hostile towards her. They began to threaten her, tell her that they were going to kill her because they stepped out of this life. See, those who were saying that you should be tolerant now all of a sudden are becoming viciously intolerant. She found out that the people who were most accepting to her were the ones who loved her enough to tell her the truth but disagreed with error in her lifestyle but loved her anyway. See, that really is the key. I believe in the church we need a love revolution. A revolution where we learn to love people as Jesus loves them, see them as Jesus sees them. So often you and I, we we get caught looking at the exterior and we, we can't get past that. But if we could see the heart like Jesus sees, I think you'd be impressed with that. The last implication we're going to look at here is is related to the last two because it flows logically from them, and that is that there are no moral absolutes either. No moral absolutes. The usual context of this is that no one can make moral judgments on somebody else's lifestyle or their choices that they make. The problem is that we all make moral judgments every day. Every single one of us in this room, we make some kind of moral judgment every day. Because it goes like this, if there are no moral absolutes, then we can't point a finger at people like Hitler. We can't point a finger at Charles Manson or an individual that spends his lifetime going around raping people or worse yet, how about uh, someone who would walk into a classroom and mow down innocent children? See, we just have to say, that's okay, you know, that's, that's kind of, it's good for him. That makes him feel good. And so the rest of the world has to go, well, I'm glad that's good for you. I'm glad, Hitler, that you could wipe out whole communities, just slaughter people. I'm glad that, that Jewish people could be put in these furnaces and burned through the Holocaust. I'm glad about all that. And you can't do that. Why? Because inside every human being, there's a sense of morality. God put it there. It's a conscience. And to say that there is no moral absolutes is an absolute lie. Because all of us, as I said, make some kind of moral judgment on a day-to-day basis. I wonder, in this room, what was your reaction when we heard on the news recently about this man who came in and shot all of those innocent children. Now, my wife's a kindergarten teacher, and so it became really tender for us. I spend uh, every just one, probably once, once, once a, uh, once a day or uh, several times a week. Anyway, I'd be in her class, and I cannot imagine that happening in that setting with these kids that you learn to love, and they're so innocent. I can't imagine. So, you know, what was your reaction when you heard that? Were you angry? Did you want justice? How, how did how did how did you react to that? Were you shocked? Well, you're horrified. I hoped you were because your, your moral meter was going off. Someone was saying, something's not right here. Fundamentally within us, we know that murder, especially of innocent children, is absolutely wrong. And there are moral standards. Secondly, if truth is absolute, then it can be found. If truth is absolute... How many believe in absolute truth today? I hope you do. It can be found. 
Truth may be difficult to find, but that doesn't mean it's impossible. Here's a definition, a working definition for us for truth. A truth must be objective. And by that I mean it's true for all people. No matter if you go to Siberia, frozen cold Siberia. Truth must be the same there as it is down in Miami Beach. But it's also universal in any place. And it must be constant. That it must be true in Jesus' day as well as it is today and a hundred years in the future should the Lord tarry. Truth has to be the same. See, truth doesn't change with culture. It doesn't change with time. It doesn't change with popular opinion or the passing of a poll. Truth is consistent. I love what Abraham Lincoln said. He was having a disagreement with, a, with another man, and Lincoln asked the man, how many legs does a cow have? And the man said, well, of course, a cow has four legs. And Lincoln said, well, you have answered correctly. He said, well, what if we were to take, one, what if we were to take the cow's tail and call it a leg? How many legs would he have then? And the man quickly answered, well, of course, the cow would then have five legs. And Lincoln said, sir, that's where you're wrong. Calling a tail a leg doesn't make it a leg. Our culture is calling lots of tails legs. If you're not willing to come to standards like these, then then I would have to say that you don't really desire to know the truth, but rather you just simply want justification for your rejection of the truth. You want some way to say it's okay for me. But the truth is the truth, and the truth is going to confront your rejection of it. And someday, if you don't have the confrontation here on this earth, you will stand before a holy God and you will be confronted with the truth. Whether you agree with that or not, whether you like that or not, it is the truth. And, you know, if, if, if you're living in a relativistic kind of mindset and you're rejecting the truth, at least have the guts to admit that you don't care about truth. At least step up the plate and say, you know, I don't care about truth. I just want to live the way I want to live and stop trying to make excuses for it and trying to make Christians look bad because we, we understand what truth is. You know, seeking truth and hoping to possess it someday is not arrogant, but rather an admission that we don't know everything, but we seek to know the truth. And we're so, we can, we can, we can know truth. You and I can know truth. It is available to us through the person of Jesus Christ. I want to say to you this morning and those that may be viewing by way of internet, you want to know truth, it's right there. The scripture says, let God be true and every man a liar. What is he saying? He's saying, you know, you, men can say what they want, but when God says it, that settles it. It's over, it's done. This is truth. And if you want to live your life with some truth, it's a great place to start. Don't go to some self-help book. 
Don't go to Christianity for Dummies. They have those yellow and black books, you know, you know, whatever you want to learn. This is for, you know, the quick way to learn it. Come to this black and white book. The truth is there. I can tell you confidently that this book will never let you down. This book will never change. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. There are lots of people trying to rewrite this book. I love our sign out front. This book doesn't need to be rewritten. Somebody just needs to reread it. Right? In a later message, I'll, I'll be giving you reasons for trusting in the reliability of, like, why, how do I know? Well, preacher, you said that's the truth, but how do I know that's the truth? We're going to be talking about that in a few weeks. Because that's a great question. Because anybody can say this book is truth, but and how do I know that that's truth? What makes that truth? It's a great and a valid question. You know, the word truth, true, and truly appear 338 times in the Bible. Jesus says, personally says, 80 times, I tell you the truth. You want a great study sometime. You want to know what's true, you just start looking up the truth statements of Jesus Christ. I tell you the truth, and and I I did that the other day, and I was amazed at how the variety of truths that Jesus said were in there that we could live our lives by. All truth is God's truth. So if you find something that claims to be true, but it contradicts God, it contradicts his word, then that must be put aside. That must be labeled as untruth. Because when it's all said and done, you and I, we have to come to a place where we we ask ourselves the question, what is it that I'm going to base my life on? What is the standard? What is the foundation? What is that one thing that I'm going to look at and say, that's worth building my life upon? Now, if I decide I'm going to build my life on the way my dad did things, that might be okay for some of us. It might be a disaster for others. But ultimately, all of us are going to end up the same place because I can't build my life on my dad. I have to build my life on my Heavenly Father. Because every human dad will let us down somewhere, sometimes, somehow. And our dads all taught us some kind of truths one way or the other. They taught us some way to live one way or the other. Whether it was good or bad for them, that was the only way they knew. But your heavenly father knows how to live life. He's the one that created this. I often say if I had a Cadillac and it broke down, I wouldn't go to the Amish buggy maker and ask him to fix it, would I? That would be ludicrous. And if I had an Amish buggy, I wouldn't take it to the Cadillac dealer and say, hey, can you fix my buggy? Now maybe somebody there might be able to repair it for him, but not the way it was intended to be. And so if you've got an issue with life, why wouldn't you want to go to the one who created this whole thing? Why wouldn't you want to go to the one who put all things into existence? That seems to make sense to me. My wife is teaching in her class about Jesus Christ. She has a student in there from her parents of her, or, or another religion. And she talked about Jesus died, but he rose again. And all other gods are still in the grave. You go where they're at. There's still a memorial. There's a statue. There's a tomb. There's something engraved with their, their name on it. But you go to Jesus' grave, and what do you find? 
an empty tomb. He's the only God who rose again. Why? Because he said he was going to do it. He did not lie. And this little girl said, but my daddy said that his God is alive again. You're going to learn a lot of things from our dad, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's true, right? What it comes down to is you only have two options. You either have the world's view, which is various, or you have the word's view. And it's important that you start with Scripture rather than man's opinion, including my opinion. My opinion changes all the time, depending on how I'm feeling that day. During the years from 1948 to 1964, 1948 to 1964, how many of you were born in those years? 48 to 64? Raise your hand really high. Let's be proud. Us baby boomers. 73 million children were born then. And during that time, there was this famous doctor named Dr. Benjamin Spock. And all the moms said, Whoa, Dr. Spock, yes, whoa. Listen to his teachings on how to raise kids, yes. And we all follow Dr. Spock. The problem was at the end of his career, he came out publicly and said, hey, I just want to tell you that everything I was teaching you was wrong and it doesn't really work. And so all of us baby boomers are here today messed up because of Dr. Benjamin Spock. See, the average lifespan of a science textbook is about 18 months. There are a lot of people basing their life on science, and they say that if science can't prove it, then it isn't true. They've got the tail before the dog. They've got the cart before the horse. When the reality is, is that God reveals science. Science doesn't reveal God. And they have it backwards. You don't want to put your faith in something that might eventually bring you to the top of the ladder only to realize it's leaned against the wrong building. And there's nothing there, it's empty. God's word has stood the test of time and all attempts to destroy it. The Bible says the word of the Lord will stand forever. But listen to this. The Bible says that it's impossible for God to lie and if you're serious about finding the truth, go to the source that never changes and that will never go away. This truth that we believe in is not fleeting. It's not like I have to chase after it, find it here and there. It's under that bush and so that church and it's over this church. It's over in that country. And oh, there's a little revival going over here so I can go find truth there. God's truth remains forever. And you can find it right here today. Absolute truth can be found if you're serious about finding it. But next, if absolute truth exists, it must be acted upon. And this is the point that we need to really hammer here this morning. If truth does exist, then it needs to be acted upon. Somebody needs to say, okay, that is truth, and I want truth, so I've got to make a step, I've got to make a change, I've got to do something different than I'm doing right now. If one, it's, it's one thing to know the truth, it's another to own it as your own, and to do what it says by acting on it. In James, in John chapter 8, verse 31, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching... Jesus said, here's my teachings. 
By the way, his teachings are truth. If you hold to my teachings, you are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Notice how he says that. If you adhere to my teachings, if you hold to my teachings, if you follow them, even listen to them, then you will find truth. Truth will come out of that. And we get it back, so we go looking for truth, and we find a treat teaching to line up with that. When Jesus said, hey, follow my teaching, and then the truth, you'll find it. It's the revelation. It really is a word of revelation to us because the, the, the letter kills, the Scripture says, but the Spirit gives life. I know a lot of people who use the Bible as a battering ram for people. You must do this because the Bible said, and you must submit, and you must, and they throw Scriptures around that are truthful Scriptures, but they're using them in a wrong way. They're not intended for love. They're not intended for restoration. They're intended for manipulation. And so we throw scriptures at each other. We beat each other up with scriptures when that was never the intention. Jesus said, if you follow my teachings, my teachings are all based on the word love. If you follow my teachings, you'll find truth. That's why Jesus said so often, you have heard it said. By who? By the religious leaders. The teachers of the law. They could hammer it out for you. The law was only meant to show us how bad we were and how much we needed Jesus. It's all it was ever intended for. And we got people still trying to live by the law when Jesus said, I've come to to fulfill the law. So we have this this clashing going on in the church world where people still living by that hammering of the written word. Jesus said, if over and over again, he said, you have heard it said, but I have say to you. What is he doing? He's saying, stop using it as a battery ram. That was never the intention of this. The law says that you take this prostitute and they throw him before Jesus. And here are all the religious people around and boy, they just wanted to prove a point to Jesus. And Look at this. She's a whore. We caught her sleeping with a man. The law says she needs to be stoned. And this is one of those situations where Jesus could have said, you have heard it said. That yes, she needs to be stoned. But I say unto you that there is a better way. It's the way of grace. It's the way of mercy. It's the way of love. And that's what Jesus brings to us in his teachings. He brings this, this yes, the law is, is in there. The New Testament teachings are in there. But the, the, the revealing of Old Testament truths happens when we look at the Old Testament. All of those truths are concealed somehow in the Old Testament. They're just hard, cold facts. But Jesus in the New Testament, all of a sudden, he opens up the veil. He expands to us what he really meant by what he said. You ever have a conversation with somebody, and they say something to you, and boy, it's really offensive, and you go away, you're hurt, you're steaming for weeks and months, and you know, finally you just say, listen, I, I've got to confront that person because I'm so angry what they said to me. And you go back to that person and say, listen, you said something to me and it hurt me and offended me so bad. And say, whoa, what did I say? I mean, the person's like taken off guard. What did I say to you? I didn't really know I hurt you. Well, you said this. And you go, well, no, I wasn't referring to that. I was referring to this. And you go, oh. Oh, oh. So, so you mean you didn't mean, no, 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 I, I, meant, I meant this. Oh. I mean, I've been mad for three months for nothing. Yeah. There's a lot of people walking around 
angry Christians. And if they would just realize the truth of God's word. You may have heard it said. But he says to you today. Something entirely different. The letter will kill. You open up the Old Testament and you try to live by that book. It'll, it'll, it'll bury you. And not one of you can keep up to those laws. Not one of us. But Jesus has said, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly, some translations say. Have it to the full, other translations say. What's he trying to say? You don't have to worry under that burden. You don't have to live under that guilt. You don't have to live under that condemnation. He says, take my yoke upon you. For my burden is easy. My yoke is easy, excuse me. And my burden is light. What's he trying to say? Hey, if you're going to live under the rules and regulations of Christianity, and by the way, as churches, we all have them. Oh, if you're going to become a member here, you have to uh, jump through a few hoops here. We all, we all have them. And some of them are in place for good reasons. But Jesus is very different than that. He does this. Come unto me, all you who are weary and brokenhearted, and I will give you rest. Isn't that what we're all longing for? This is a weary world. It doesn't take much in any given day to feel beat up by it. So hear the words of the Master saying to you today with absolute truth in his voice, with no intention of a charlatan behind it. Come to me. All you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Would you bow your hearts with me this morning? Father, we thank you today for truth. We thank you for your word. Thank you that your word's not going to pass away. Your word's not going to become obsolete someday. It's not going to become Dr. Benjamin Spock-like. But it's eternal. It's good in every situation for all people anywhere and at all times. We thank you, Lord, that we have a standard that we can live by. We just ask, God, that you would help us to live better by the standard that our lives would indeed be clothed in your righteousness, that our actions would uh, exemplify your kingdom and our words would be seasoned with the tenderness of heaven. That when we come in contact with those who are confronting the truth, those who are living in their relativistic lifestyle, we would be able to say with gentleness and love that we have the way, the truth, and the life living inside of us. And model that in such a way that it's contagious. Model that in such a way that people would just desire to have some of that. Because I just got a sneaky feeling, Father God, that even in their relativistic lifestyles, 
deep in their heart when they lay their head on their pillow at night, staring at their ceiling, something in their spirit is saying something's wrong. Holy Spirit, I just pray for lots of midnight confessions of faith. People are lying in their bed. May they be confronted with the power of the Holy Spirit that you would reveal truth. Your Spirit does bring life and we pray life over people. So we speak to them, bring life in our words, bring life in our actions to them. Like this man who found this homeless person and just gave life to them. Let that be an expression of our lives, we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Lord bless you.